Hello, my friends, and welcome to another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. And today is going to be a great day for you, because you're going to learn some things that you probably never even heard of, some things you can tell your children and grandchildren, and I can almost guarantee that they will never forget. But before we get into that darkness, I want to discuss the darkness that is here today. Mr. Scott, how dare you? How dare you turn against your own people? You are like the Indian scouts who tracked their own people so they could be destroyed. You are like Judah for 30 pieces of silver. You, my friend, are what is known as an educated fool, being used by whiteness against his own people. And I find it hard to believe that you, a man of your position, a man whose family members and I know ancestors were brutalized by whiteness, would take such a stand against his own people slapping his own family and ancestors in the face. I also find it hard to believe that you do not know that for over 300 years, the black folks in America has been systematically brutalized, mutilated, murdered, abused, controlled, raped, objectified, and demonized by guns, whips, chains, manacles, by shootings, lynchings, and rape, by laws, social norms, and codes of behavior, and by images and concepts for centuries, trauma upon trauma. And I will not take another second of my listeners' time on a clown. My friends, let's slip into darkness. More than 20 million people attended the 1904 World's Fair. They came to St. Louis to see electricity for the first time, to hear the first telephone, and to witness around 3,000 savages from Africa, Asia, and the Americas living in displays that resembled their native villages. You see, friends, in the late 20th century, the Western world was desperate to see the savage, primitive people described by explorers and adventurers scouting out new lands for colonial exploitation. So to feed this frenzy, thousands of indigenous individuals from Africa, Asia, and America were brought to the United States and Europe, often under dubious circumstances, to be put on display in an equal quasi-captive life in human zoos. These indigenous men, women, and children were brought to the fair to perform their backward primitive culture for eager American masses who could leave feeling a renewed sense of racial superiority. Put on display like cattle, my friends. Due to poor record keeping, backroom dealing, and the huge number of colonial governments involved, 
it's impossible to know the, the exact number of those who participated in human zoos, but it's not small. In a 1908 autobiography, Carl Hagenbeck, a human rarities agent, bragged that during a 10-year period, he alone brought more than 900 indigenous people to the U.S. and Europe for exhibition. African tribal members were required to wear traditional clothing intended for their equatorial heat, even in freezing December temperatures, and Filipino villages were made to perform a seasonal dog-eating ritual over and over to shock the audience. A lack of drinking water and appalling sanitary conditions led to rampant dysentery and other illnesses. Two performers died on the fairgrounds that season. Filipinos whose bodies still reside at the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. Others, including kindergartners from Arizona's Pima Indian tribe, were shipped home at the first signs of sickness. What happened after their return was not the fair's concern. There were no bars to keep those in human zoos from escaping, but the vast majority, especially those brought from foreign continents, had nowhere else to go. Set up in mock ethnic villages, indigenous people were asked to perform typical daily tasks, show off primitive skills like making stone tools and pantomime rituals. In some shows, Indigenous performers engaged in fake battles or tests of strength. Human Rarities Agents The men who acquired human specimens for circuses, expositions, and other events in the West were essential middlemen feeding this popular form of entertainment. Some agents were religious men who had begun their work as missionaries or early anthropologists who lived in and studied distant communities. Others were entrepreneurs who sought to capitalize on the public's desire to gawk and objectify. All, to some degree, were human traffickers. Hagenbeck, as well as Barnum and Bailey Circus recruiter Robert A. Cunningham, anthropologist Frederick Starr, and perhaps most famously South Carolina minister-turned-trafficker Samuel Phillips Verner, created lucrative careers trafficking in savages for human zoos. Despite questionable practices, however, not all of the men and women who performed in human zoos and traveling shows were coerced. Some participated willingly in theatrical and cultural performances. Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, for example, provided Lakota Sioux activists like Chief Sitting Bull and Luther Standing Bear with the opportunities to appeal directly to American and European audiences regarding the oppression of their communities. 
The introductions to world leaders and international acclaim that Standing Bear achieved in his travels with Buffalo Bill eventually led to his participation in the passage of the Indian Reorganization Act of 1934, which emphasized Indian self-determination over the plundering and assimilation of Indian lands and communities advocated by the 1887 Dawes Act. Most indigenous people brought to the West, in fact, would have some agency in their decisions. And on the surface, it all looked legal. Although it's unlikely that future performers fully understood what would be expected of them across the ocean. Some of the agents were scrupulous, and some of them were real shits and left people. Agents would have promised money and the opportunity to see the world, but many performers never got either. And there is no doubt that agents at times flat out lied to or even abducted their targets. In 2010, the Chilean government apologized for being complicit in the 1881 kidnapping of a group of Indians by Hackenbeck, who brought them to Europe to perform in human zoos. Only five of the men made it home alive. The bones of five others were discovered in Zurich more than a hundred years after their abduction. An eleventh man died on the return trip to Chile. One of nine Australian Aborigines from the Woogaloo clan who were at worst abducted or at best severely misled by Barnum and Bailey's Cunningham to perform at the touring show in 1883, died of illness less than a year after his arrival. Instead of being returned to his community, his embalmed body was put on permanent display in Drew's Dime Museum in Cleveland, Ohio. The man who had been called Tambo could be seen by visitors until 1920. When the museum closed down, his body was passed among funeral parlors until, in 1993, a Cleveland undertaker told the Australian ambassador's office about his existence and Tambo was finally returned home. Maybe the most shocking example of human trafficking during this period was perpetrated by Samuel Phillips Verner, a Presbyterian minister from South Carolina. The first men Werner brought to the United States were not typically intended for display. He met Cascongo and Condola, two young men from the region near the Upper Congo River in what is today the Democratic Republic of the Congo. While stationed there as a preacher, when his mission was complete, Werner sailed home with a ship loaded with plants, parrots, monkeys, and the two young men who were promised an education and a better life in the United States. But once they reached the U.S., Werner's primary goal 
appeared to be to make a buck off of them. After unsuccessfully attempting to rent them to the Smithsonian Institute along with other pieces of his collection, Werner eventually deposited Cascongo and Condola in 1901 at the Stillman Institute in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which at the time operated a middle school and high school. Just a year later, Cascongo was killed in a stampede that broke out after a fight during a Booker T. Washington speech in Birmingham, Alabama. Words of the spoils Werner brought from Congo got around, and in 1903, he was hired to acquire 12 pygmies, among them an adult woman, two infants, and a priest or healer. Four red Africans, including one fine type and two other natives of a distinct ethnic type for display in the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis. Otabinga, one of the Mtubu pygmies Werner procured, became one of the event's more popular characters. When the fair was over, Warner continued to capitalize on Binga, displaying him in a touring show that lasted until 1906. Later that year, when their tour ended, Werner transferred his care to William Hornaday, director of the Bronx Zoo, where he was caged with the monkey house. A sign posted at the exhibit read, The African Pygmy. Utu Binga, age 23, height 4 feet 11 inches, weight 103 pounds, brought from the Kansai River, Congo Free State, South Central Africa, by Dr. Samuel P. Werner, exhibited each afternoon during September. Binga's display in the Bronx Zoo stirred up controversy. After only 10 days as a resident of the monkey house, he was removed from the zoo and sent to an orphanage. Binga never made it back to Congo. In 1916, after more than a decade in the United States, at the age of 32, he shot himself. In the end, my friends, it was an outrage over the subjugation of humans that put an end to human zoos. In the years leading up to World War II and beyond, the public's time and attention was drawn away from gaiety and towards geopolitical conflict and economic collapse. By the middle of the 20th century, television replaced circuses and traveling zoos, human or otherwise as the preferred mode of entertainment and the display of indigenous people for entertainment fell out of fashion. And there you have it, my friends, a well-kept secret. Whiteness does not want us to have. But time has changed and we are no longer the uneducated backward people we once were. We have access to the same educational tools that they have. We can bring that darkness now into light. And this is what I'm doing. 
this is what we are doing. And as a people, we will go forward ever and backward never. The music tells me that it is once again that time. But before I go, let me leave you with this thought. One day your life will flash before your eyes. Make damn sure it's worth watching. Until the next time, it has been my honor.